Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn why we need memorials for medicine with best-selling author Stephen Johnson. You'll also learn about NASA's kind of creepy phantom torso experiment and why we tend to overestimate outliers. Let's satisfy some curiosity. What's the biggest statue you can think of? Chances are it's some sort of a memorial to war put there to remember a battle or a general or fallen soldiers. There aren't too many statues devoted to medical achievements. And today's guest says, well, there should be. Stephen Johnson is the best-selling author of 13 books, along with his latest entitled Extra Life, A Short History of Living Longer. We asked him why he thinks we need memorials for medicine. Years ago, I wrote this book about an important figure in the history of public health, this guy, John Snow, not the Game of Thrones, John Snow, um, with the British doctor who figured out that cholera was in the water in London in 1854. And, uh, you know, that's a, it's, we've talked about the importance of solving the problem of waterborne diseases. Snow was a major figure in that. And there's a, there's a little kind of plaque memorializing his breakthrough idea at, at a replica of a pump in Soho because the outbreak he used to solve the mystery of cholera and revolved around a kind of a well that had been contaminated with the bacterium that causes cholera. And so there's this little, you know, you would miss it if you walk by on the other side of the street, there's this little kind of plaque and a kind of replica of the pump to commemorate this. And this was an idea, understanding the nature of cholera that saved hundreds of millions of lives. I mean, literally hundreds of millions of lives. And the, the memorial you get is not really visible from 40 feet away. <laughs> but just think of the, you know, the scale of the military memorials that you see, or just, you know, you walk down, you know, from Soho to Trafalgar Square. Or, I mean, I can see from my window, Grand Army Plaza here in Brooklyn, which commemorates the Union Army and the Civil War in the United States. Like we have these uh, massive tributes to the lives lost in military conflicts. It's just a part of our kind of urban fabric, but we don't have as many memorials to the lives saved, the people who saved those lives. And I just think it creates a kind of skewed sense of our history. I mean, the other example is just the stories we tell. I mean, to me, you know, one of the most important stories in this whole project is the eradication of smallpox. So we, you know, we took this deadly virus and just wiped it off the face of the earth in this amazing global collaborative effort in the 60s and the 70s. I mean, you know, the hundreds of millions of people died of smallpox. And then starting in 1975, nobody died of smallpox. And if you think about it, like every kid knows about the moon landing from that period, the late 60s, early 70s, and, you know, the, the heroic astronauts of the Apollo missions. But how many of them know about smallpox eradication? And it feels like, I mean, I'm all for space exploration and astronauts and landing men on the moon, that's a great achievement, but so is smallpox eradication. And it probably had a bigger, I would argue, effect on actual lives to make that kind of breakthrough in, in health, thanks to mass vaccination, of course, something we're doing right now with COVID. So in a sense, we need new heroes. And that's a lot of what this project is trying to do. After last year, I think we can all imagine a new hero that deserves their own statue. Again, that was Stephen Johnson, the author of Extra Life, A Short History of Living Longer. You can find a link to pick it up in the show notes. Here's a weird story. For six months in 2001, 
astronauts aboard the International Space Station had one very creepy roommate. A male dummy with no arms and no legs sat in the ISS's U.S. Destiny Lab to absorb the radiation of space. This was known as the Phantom Torso Experiment, and as strange as it may seem, it helped protect astronauts for generations to come. Now, when you think about the risks an astronaut takes, you might imagine the launch, the lack of oxygen, and the cold vacuum of space. But there's another invisible danger that's arguably more deadly, radiation exposure. Space is teeming with high-energy particles that wreak havoc on living cells, and that can lead to everything from cataracts and reproductive damage to cancer and mutations in DNA. Now, here on Earth, we're protected from most of these particles by our planet's magnetic field, but in space, there's nowhere to hide. Before the galaxy's creepiest astronaut came on board, scientists had only been able to determine the dose of radiation to which ISS astronauts were exposed with one type of passive sensor, which measures total radiation. On the other hand, the phantom torso was wired with both passive sensors and active sensors, which gave real-time readings. Hundreds of sensors were placed at five different locations in the phantom's body, including his brain, thyroid, heart, stomach, and colon. And still more were placed next to him to measure the radiation inside the spacecraft. There were around 350 sensors in all. So, what did this creepy experiment find? Well, for one thing, some models that experts had used to estimate radiation dose had been underrepresenting the harms. Many hadn't taken into account free neutrons from galactic cosmic rays, and the experiment found that they contributed a whopping 80% of the radiation that astronauts were exposed to. The experiment also showed that there wasn't much of a difference between the amount of radiation that hit the skin and the amount that hit the organs, although the damage was slightly less the further back in the dummy's body it went. Well, in the end, the phantom torso sharpened our precision in measuring radiation's harms. We went from a wild plus or minus 500% accuracy to something closer to 25%. Knowing the risks means that the people who design spacesuits and spacecraft can know where and how to focus their protective measures. And that will help astronauts in the future. Though it will make us a little less likely to, you know... Produce the Fantastic Four, whose superhero origin is literally cosmic rays. Just saying. <laughs> when you walk into a room full of people, it's common to scan the crowd to get a sense of who's there. But according to a new study, our estimates of a group's makeup tend to be pretty inaccurate. We overestimate how many people are in the minority, and we do it really quickly. That knowledge could help us understand something new about how our attention works. For this experiment, researchers gathered a group of 48 people between the ages of 18 and 28. The participants had a quick chance to look at a grid of 12 faces before being asked to estimate how many men and how many women were present in the grid. When the grids were made up of all men or all women or a 50-50 split, the participants had an easy time. But when the grid was made up of an uneven mix, say 10 men and 2 women, participants would overestimate how many women were there. And when there were more women than men, they overestimated the number of men. 
This puts an interesting twist on previous research that shows people of all genders routinely overestimate how many women there are in male-dominated areas, like CEOs, film leads, and fiction protagonists. This suggests that these overestimates are more than just a social bias. The study found that people even overestimate the number of landscape images they see. For that experiment, researchers asked participants to take a one-second glance at a grid that contained both indoor and outdoor nature photos. Whatever scene appeared less often was the one participants overestimated. To find out what was going on, the researchers tracked the movements of participants' eyes in the one second they spent looking at the grid. Participants spent more time looking at the photos in the minority, whether it was men, women, or nature photos. Our visual systems are built to process information very quickly, and that processing is reliably faulty. Our eyes are automatically drawn to outliers in a group setting, and we're likely to overestimate how many of the minority are in a group. We then form impressions of the whole group and make snap judgments about how we fit in. And that can be a problem. I mean, it's hard to get diverse viewpoints in a room when you falsely assume they're already there. It's a behavior worth noticing in ourselves as we move through the world. Snap judgments aren't always good judgments. It's always a good idea to look twice. Let's do a quick recap of what we learned today, starting with the fact that according to Stephen Johnson, we should erect more memorials to medicine to help us remember the hundreds of millions of lives we've saved thanks to medical advances. As he said, quote, we need new heroes, unquote. And I mean, why not? I'm for it. It was pretty striking to hear that that statue of Jon Snow is just like a tiny little thing that you can barely see when you're walking down the street. And he saved like countless lives. And meanwhile, we have all these giant memorials to battles. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And we learned that the phantom torso experiment involved putting an armless, legless dummy on the International Space Station, where it sat and absorbed radiation from space. Sensors all over its body helped researchers sharpen their precision and how much they knew about the harms that astronauts faced. This creepy dummy made space travel safer for the astronauts of today and beyond. I definitely recommend looking up a picture of the phantom torso experiment because it kind of looks like an armless, legless mummy, sort of. It's like all white and covered in cloth. It's just, it's creepy. I know we've said it's creepy like a zillion times already, but it's creepy. Yeah, there are, there are mannequins that look less creepy. Like, not all mannequins are creepy. This mannequin is creepy. Definitely. I mean, there's a thing where they'll call something that's like a stand-in for a human a phantom. And that always, just anytime someone calls their experiment phantom, I get creeped out. It's just creepy. It's a creepy word. And now it's inside your mind. <laughs> exactly. But we also learned that we tend to overestimate the outliers we see. Our visual systems are designed to process information quickly, so we tend to notice the things that look different from the majority. And this is worth noting when you're thinking about how well certain groups are actually represented in various areas. And actually, just as we were recording this, another study came out from the University of Pennsylvania's Annenberg School for Communication, suggesting that this kind of goes both ways. You know, we were suggesting that you might think that a particular group is really well represented in a positive role, but this goes both ways. What they found was that, quote, study participants on average estimated that 15% of migrants at the southern border are affiliated with gangs 
and 25 to 35 percent of children at the southern border are being used as props by adults who are not their parents for immigration purposes. When in reality, the Department of Homeland Security suspects approximately one percent of immigrants have gang connections and less than point one percent of children are being trafficked, unquote. So, I mean, yeah, and some of that's less our own innocent bias and more, you know, media perception. Yes. There are so many examples of just, yeah, any, anything you see on TV, you'll see it once and you're like, yep, that's normal. It's probably not normal. <laughs> a lot of times it's not normal. Yeah, yeah. The writer for today's last story was Kelsey Donk. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer, who is also a writer and audio editor on today's episode. Our producer and lead audio editor is Cody Goff. Why don't you put up a memorial to your curiosity? Maybe by writing us a five-star review on Ample Podcasts? Just a thought. And then, of course, join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. <laughs>